you'd open your Bibles, please, to Zephaniah. We'll be looking at the final verses of the first chapter, verses 14 to 18. And you'll certainly see as we read the text, the emphasis on God saying there's going to be this day. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, we read, Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men. I will bring distress on men. So that they will walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood will be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth." Let's pray. Lord, we couldn't read a much sober passage than the one we just read tonight that you've given to us in this book of Zephaniah. It obviously is in here for a reason, and you want us to understand exactly the program that you've laid out that one day will be accomplished according to your sovereign will. You also obviously want us to see the horrible way that sin affects you. And I pray that we would realize that. And if there's anything in our lives that would even border on this, we would be swift to deal with it. So you don't have to deal with us. Pray that you would bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 years ago, in 2013, Zach Barnett took an acoustic guitar into his bedroom and he started working on an idea for a song that would make people in this world feel happy and positive. He said he was listening to most of the rock songs, and they were so dark and negative, so he wrote The Best Day of My Life. It's a catchy little tune. It's actually being used on a commercial on television. This is going to be the best day of my life. That's how it goes. Don't be singing that while I'm doing this, by the way. (laughs) About 55 years ago, back in 1968, during the Vietnam War, A music group known as the Rascals recorded a feel-good song. They called it, It's a Beautiful Morning. It was kind of written in protest against the war. It was a song of hope and positivity about a beautiful day. It's such a positive song that people still love it today. It makes people feel good. About 2,600 years ago, in 625 B.C., Zephaniah penned a lyric we would call, The Great Day of the Lord. But this is anything but a feel-good song. It's anything but a feel-good lyric. It's a lyric designed to warn people you need to be right with God. When the day of the Lord hits, it's not going to be the best day of anyone's life. And it certainly is not going to be a beautiful morning. In fact, the description of what Zephaniah presents in this passage of Scripture is deadly and scary. It's one of the most graphic descriptions that you'll ever read concerning the day of the Lord. When we analyze what's here, it's obvious that the totality of what's described here has certainly not happened yet. Although there may be pocket areas in which a portion of this has been experienced by Israel 
and perhaps by various parts of the nation, there has never been a time when the whole world and all the inhabitants in the world have experienced what's predicted here. What is predicted here is that there will be a great day of the Lord that will be a time when God is going to pour out his wrath on the entire world. It'll be a day like has never been experienced or seen before on earth. And God wants his people knowing about this day. He wants them seeing and sensing the sights and sounds of what it's going to be like. He lays this out graphically, and people who are wise will look at this and say, I don't want to be there when that happens. People who are wise will look at that and say, you know, I want to be in a right relationship with God because I don't want to have anything to do with that day. Now, the facts of what is called the great day of the Lord are very specific. This is, as one commentator said, a very dramatic text. This is obviously what God wants his people to know about a future time. It's quite an amazing catalog of things that are predicted to happen in the future. And all of the facts go together in order for a total fulfillment, and there are 27 of them. The first fact is the great day of the Lord is near. Verse 14 says, near is the great day of the Lord. Now that fact is mentioned twice because the next clause says near and coming very quickly. So the word near is a word that refers to something that's rapidly approaching and will be here in a short time. Now God never wants people at any time thinking judgment of them is way out there. God never wants any of his people at any time just assuming that judgment is far away. He never wants his people to become complacent about pending judgment. He wants them to realize it's a serious thing. In fact, he says, listen, in verse 14, listen, open up your ears and hear this. Now, most people don't think about judgment being near. Let's face it, most people think judgment's far off and they have plenty of time. I mean, people who develop habits that are sinful habits, they think they've got all the time in the world to make it right. I mean, they think that they can just make some decision down the future to clean things up and clear things up. What God says is you need to understand something here. I want my people realizing my judgment is near. Now, for Jerusalem and Judah, the first wave of the Babylonian assault occurred about 20 years after Zephaniah made this prediction. Babylon came in and they took captives in 605 BC, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken in that first wave of the captivity. And then about 38 years after Zephaniah made this prediction, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. So from this, we conclude that what God does is he sends a series of preliminary devastating judgments against a place before he gives it its final annihilation. The great day of the Lord judgment is in totality still not hit yet. And it hasn't hit completely, but the clock is ticking, and it's going to hit in the tribulation. So the first fact is, the great day of the Lord is near. The second fact is, the great day of the Lord will come quickly. Verse 14 says, near and coming very quickly. Now, men don't want to read that adverb quickly, that judgment's coming quickly. I mean, especially people in sin, they like extensions. I mean, people who are involved in stuff that God would classify as sinful, they like an extension of time given to them, and they don't want to read, hey, you need to understand this, judgment's coming against you quickly. And by Zephaniah using these terms, he wants people to realize the judgment is on the way, and it's going to come fast and furious. It's rapidly approaching. 
Now, God's time of rapidly approaching in our time are certainly two different things. A day with the Lord is a thousand years to us. And if we put it in the chronology of what happened with Zephaniah in Israel, it was 20 years after he made this prediction that it hit 38 years. Jerusalem was completely gone. So there was a time frame in which it was quick, but quick by God's standards. When the day of the Lord judgment hits, it's going to be rapid fire sequence. There's going to be no let up. Now you read this tonight and you say, well, near is the great day of the Lord and near it's coming quickly. What does that really apply to us? I mean, here we are in the church age and what's the big deal? I mean, does it really matter to us that we know that the day of the Lord's going to come quickly over there in Israel someday? It's going to hit the world. Is it important that we know that? Let me take you to four church age passages. If you would just hold your place here in Zephaniah, let's go over to Philippians 4. These are all church-age passages. Philippians chapter 4. When I draw your attention to verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Well, there's a statement. The Lord is telling his people, do you realize I'm near you every moment of the day? I see your attitudes and I see your actions. But let's go to another one. Let's flip over to the book of James chapter 5. James chapter 5. It's another one written in the church age. This isn't Old Testament Israel here. This is New Testament church truth. James chapter 5 and verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Pay attention to your heart. The coming of the Lord is near. Flip over a page or two to 1 Peter, chapter 4, and look at what Peter writes in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is near. And then let's go to one more, the last chapter in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, that is addressed to the church. In Revelation chapter 22, in fact, verse 16 says, I've sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. Notice what Jesus says in verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. No, you don't want to fall into the trap of saying, you know, the judgment of God is way off out there somewhere. I don't need to worry about what's going on in my world right now. You better understand the Lord is near to every single one of us. And when his judgment comes, it hits quickly. The third fact is the great day of the Lord will have a warrior crying out bitterly. That's what verse 14 says. Listen. The day of the Lord, in it, a warrior cries out bitterly. The word warrior, Gabor, refers to a strong, mighty, high-ranking military leader. It may be used of a warrior who's a good warrior or an evil warrior. Whatever this warrior is, whatever he's going to communicate is going to be bitter for people. I think this is an agent of God that God is going to use to call out a battle cry against this sin-cursed world. God is going to authorize destruction to hit Israel. He's going to authorize destruction to hit this world. We've already seen early in the book, he's going to target political leaders, target religious leaders. He's going to target common people. And this warrior will be crying out bitterly, which means there's going to be no place for people to hide. When this judgment goes down, you cannot escape it. 
And we know from the book of Revelation that there are many announcements that literally come straight out of heaven from angelic beings. Especially in the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, there are going to be warrior-type announcements. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Angels will be announcing from heaven with a warrior-type crying, and it will be bitter. The fourth fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time of wrath. Verse 15, a day of wrath is that day. The idea here is not grace. This is not going to be a time when God says, I'm going to offer people grace salvation. The emphasis of the next few statements is this particular time is going to be a time when I specifically pour out my anger on this world that has so sinned against me. It's going to be a time when God is going to pour out his wrath, and there will be no grace offered to people. Right now, it's a wonderful opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, to allow the Spirit of God to clean us up and to make adjustments in light of the Scriptures, because once this thing hits, that grace thing's over. The fifth fact that's brought out is the great day of the Lord will be a time of trouble. That's what he says in verse 15, a day of trouble. That word trouble carries with it the idea that everything around people will be miserable. Every way they turn is going to be misery. That's what they'll find. They'll find some enemy, some hassle, some adversary. Now, when you find yourself in those kind of situations now, what you typically do is look for a way out. I mean, if you find yourself in some troubling situation, the first thing you want to do is find some solution so you can get out of the troubling situation. The emphasis of this is when this trouble hits, there is no way out. There will be nothing positive for people to turn to. It will be a total time of trouble. The sixth fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time of distress. That's what he says in verse 15. Next on the list, the time of distress. And the word implies a deep distress because one is prey to be captured. In other words, what God's going to do is he's going to use the whole world as his prey. And he's pouring out his anger. He's pouring out his wrath. He said, you need to understand this day is coming. In fact, he'll say in just a minute, I will do this. And it's not I might, I will do this. Now the seventh fact is it will be a time of destruction. The word shoah indicates it'll be a time when God will cause things to be laid waste. He will cause houses to fall down, crashing noises. Literally, God says, I'm going to, in this time period, demolish everything. The eighth fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time of desolation. And that refers to a storm that just crashes and hits and there's just loud sounds that just leave something just totally wiped out, totally desolate. And God says, that's what my day is going to be like in my day of anger and day of wrath. The ninth fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time of darkness. He says in verse 15, and he's going to really stress this now, a day of darkness. Now we have dark days in Michigan. We had one today wasn't any sun shining today that I saw. The darkness being referred to here is it's going to be eerie stuff. This is going to be a divine celestial manifestation. Solar energy will not be a possibility because there will be no light that can even give solar energy. What God says is when we get into this time frame, I'm turning lights off. I'm going to make things dark. Then he follows that up with a 10 fact. The great day of the Lord will be a time of gloom. 
That's what he says, darkness and gloom. And so it's going to be not only just darkness when light is gone, but it's going to be gloomy when light is gone. And then it also will be a time of clouds. The text says a day of clouds. And so the context is, if you're living here, you're looking at gloomy, dark clouds, and you're looking at a darkness that's hovering over the earth, and then he backs that up by saying, it'll be a thick darkness. With the twelfth fact, in verse 15, it will be a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, what in the world would darkness like that be? What would it be like to be in darkness like that? I can show you. Go back to the book of Exodus chapter 10. And notice verse 21. We want to get a glimpse of what this will be like. Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. That's what it'll be like. It'll be so dark, you cannot see anything. And God says, when my day of wrath comes, I'm turning the lights off. I'll make it so dark that people won't even be able to see the hand in front of their face. Which brings us to the 13th fact. The great day of the Lord will be a time of a battle cry trumpet. Verse 16, a day of trumpet and a battle cry. Now, we know this has ultimate fulfillment in the great tribulation in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, there are a series of judgments that lay out the wrath of God. There's that seven-seal judgment book. And the seven-seal judgment book contains the seven trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment contains the seven bowl judgments. The whole maze of Three seven types of judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments are all wrath judgments of God. And if we specifically focus on the trumpet judgments, we can conclude in a chronology of things that the worst time of wrath, the whole tribulation seven-year period is going to be a horrible time in which God is pouring out his wrath, but the worst time of it will be the last three and a half to four years. Because that's when all of those whoa, whoa judgments come. That's when the last trumpet judgment sounds. And that's what he says. It's going to be a day of trumpet, a day of battle cry. Then the 14th fact, it'll be a great day of the Lord, will be a judgment against fortified cities. He said, against fortified cities. Boy, when I read that, I kept thinking of Revelation 16, 19. God says, I'm going to literally pour out my wrath and the cities of the nations will fall. He'll bring down all the cities of the world. Man built those cities thinking that they were just strong and they were just something that no one could bring down. God says, I'll bring them all down. I don't care how strong they've been built. I don't care how tall those buildings. They'll come down, which brings us to the next fact. The great day of the Lord will be a judgment of tall towers and buildings. Verse 16 says, and the high corner towers. God says, I want you to realize I don't care what you have or where you are. When I pour out my judgment, I will bring it all down. I will topple the tallest buildings in the world. And after he has given those 15 facts, he brings a 16th fact out. He says, the great day of the Lord will be a time when I bring distress on men, all men. Verse 17, I will bring distress on men. And I want to point out the I will. 
Now, I don't know how you can spiritualize or symbolize this when you have God saying, this is a day of this, it's a day of this, it's a day of this, it's a day of this, and I will do it. So you can't look at that and say, oh, he must not mean it. You have to look at that and say, that is what God is saying. And I like what one commentator said, when this goes down, when God puts all this distress on all humanity, the bravest hero in the world will shriek at the horrors that he will experience. God will sovereignly cause everything on this earth to bring nothing but distress to people. He will not in any way provide for those people except he'll provide wrath. That will be the goal. His goal will be to pour out his anger. His goal will be to pour out his wrath. There's a description in Revelation of God using 100-pound hailstones. 100-pound hailstones just to fly out of the sky and kill people. I mean, God is going to literally bring distress on men and they can't find their way out of it. Which brings us to the 17th fact, the great day of the Lord will be a time when men will walk like blind men. Verse 17 says, so they will walk like the blind. You know, that's the way it is for somebody who's not in a right relationship with the Lord, and that's the way it is when it comes to the theme of judgment. People just won't know what to do. They will be so dumbfounded by the calamity and judgment coming from God, they'll just wander around like blind people, not even knowing where they're going. That's the way it is for a sinner. A sinner that has no interest in Jesus Christ and no interest in the word of God is on a step-by-step journey walking like a blind person. And they're walking like a blind person down this trail and down that trail, and they're walking right to their final judgment. That's the way it is. And I'll tell you this, if you decide to walk on the path of a sin, you'll walk like a blind person. And what you'll discover is you'll miss seeing God, seeing God, because you're walking like a blind person. You'll miss seeing God do wonderful things. You'll miss seeing God use you in great ways. You'll walk like a blind person. You won't have stability. You won't have peace. You won't have purpose. You won't have power. You'll just be wandering around through life wondering where it's all going to lead. People that aren't right with God walk like blind men. And God says, in this time, I'm going to make it so all people walk like that. The 18th fact is the great day of the Lord is a judgment time because of sin. Verse 7, because they have sinned against the Lord. The wrath of God and the judgment of God is aimed at people that don't do something about their sin. Now, when most people sin, they just kind of sweep it under the carpet and say, well, I may have sinned, but it's just against me. I just sin against myself. Nobody needs to know about it. God knows about it. And you didn't just sin against you. You sinned against him. That's what he says here. Because they've sinned against me. So when a person decides, I'm going to do something that's contrary to God and contrary to his word, ultimately, that person just kind of sweeps it under the carpet. God said, you don't realize what's happened here. You've sinned against me. This isn't just about you. You've sinned against me. And God said, what you need to understand is that I keep records of this. And unless you do something about the sin, you're going to discover that 
you're going to face the consequences for your sin. So if you're not willing to turn from the sin, confess the sin, get right in a relationship with me, you're going to experience my wrath. Now you would think that if God is pouring out this kind of judgment on people, they would say, you know what? I got to turn away from this stuff. I've got to get back into a right relationship with the God of the Bible. I've got to get away from this because I don't want to experience this wrath. But I can tell you right now, and I can prove it to you from the book of Revelation. In fact, I would have you go to Revelation chapter 9. You need to see this with your own eyes. Revelation chapter 9, that in the tribulation period, when God is hammering, hammering this world with these judgment plagues where most of this is going to be fulfilled in the tribulation period, you can see what people do. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. Man, you can tell people, look, if you don't turn from your immoral ways, if you don't turn from your idolatrous ways, you're going to face the judgment of God. They don't care. In fact, the people who are experiencing much of this in the day of the Lord, they don't care. They won't repent. Don't let that be the story of your life. Don't get comfortable with sin. If there's sin in your world, get it out. Confess it and get away from it. Because I'm telling you, you're not just sinning against you, you're sinning against God. The 19th fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time when God will pour out people's blood. Verse 17, and their blood will be poured out like dust. People don't want to hear this about God. They don't want to know this about God. They don't want to think in terms of God having to do this. In fact, I'm sure God himself, he reaches a point where he has to do this, but I'm sure he doesn't find great joy in any of this. And every now and then one of those little animals will run out in front of our car, man, we hit the brakes. Little squirrels, little rabbits run out there. You hit the brakes. You don't want to just kill them. Your heart doesn't want to destroy those animals, and God's heart doesn't want to do this either. But I tell you what, he only gives people so long to deal with things, and he said, I've had enough. They're making mockery of the life I've given them. They're not interested in pursuing what's right, and therefore he makes it very clear, I'll pour out people's blood. The 20th fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time when God will destroy people's bodies. He says in verse 17, and their flesh like dung. He's got a pile of bodies. They're going to be dead bodies. We learn from Ezekiel chapter 39 that when this judgment hits and Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, it will take all the people, all the people who live in the promised land seven months to bury dead bodies. That's how many dead bodies will be in just the promised land. That doesn't even include areas in the rest of the world. We're just talking about the promised land dimensions. The 21st fact is the great day of the Lord will not be escapable for the rich with their money. Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them. Now you see, rich people, when they get into legal trouble, many times they can buy their way out of it. 
They have the wherewithal and the right contacts. They know the right people, people in high positions of power, and they write a big enough check or get some money overseas in some secret account. And a lot of people can use their money to make deals to get them out of trouble. God said, not me. Not when my judgment comes, your money won't buy you out of anything. I don't care what you have. You're not going to get out of the judgment of God. You're not going to get out of making a payment with your money. The redemptive price to get out of your sin problem has already been paid by one person, Jesus Christ. And he's the only way of escape. And if people don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior, they're going to face the judgment of God. There's not a thing they will do to get out of it. And there's not a thing they'll be able to do to escape it. The 22nd fact is the great day of the Lord will be a time of God's wrath. He brings that up in verse 18. On the day of the Lord's wrath. See, people don't want to think this about God. They don't like this attribute of God. They don't like the fact that God has an angry side and a wrath side. They like grace and mercy, and they like love. That's one they love. They love the attribute of love. But God doesn't just reveal himself to be a God of only grace and mercy and love and patience. He also says, I'm a God of wrath. I'm a God of anger. And when my anger reaches a certain boiling point, I pour out my wrath. The 23rd fact is the great day of the Lord will be a judgment against all the earth. That's what he says in verse 18, and all the earth will be devoured. In other words, nobody's going to escape this. It will not matter where anybody lives. They can live in the mountains. They can live in some island. God said, I'll track you all down. Nobody's going to escape this when I come to this time of judgment that Zephaniah is predicting. The 24th fact is the great day of the Lord will feature the fire of God's jealousy. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute. The jealousy of God. The jealousy of God is not like the jealousy of people. The jealousy of God is perfect and good. The jealousy of God is emotional. The jealousy of God is not based on some insecurity that God has. Most people who are jealous, they're insecure. That's why they're jealous. God's jealousy isn't based on insecurity. God's jealousy is based on the fact that he will not compromise one bit when it comes to sin or the loyalty of his people. He makes it very clear, I am a jealous God and I will not share my glory with another. Now, I want to take you to two passages of Scripture, and the first one will be Exodus 20. Because in Exodus chapter 20, we learn a little bit here about the jealousy of God that I think is worth seeing. In Exodus chapter 20, we read in verse 5, Exodus 20 verse 5, God says, you shall not worship, and he's talking about worship something other than him. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. God said, I am a jealous God. And I know some of you that are very wise in dispensationalism will look at that and say, well, that's part of 
the Ten Commandments, and that certainly is part of the Old Testament law. We're not under law, we're under grace, all right? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at what Paul says is possible for New Testament believers to do. Verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? In the context of what? Participating in verse 21 in false religion. Paul says you get involved in religion or denominations that aren't given to truth, you need to understand what's going on in the mind of God. You are actually provoking him to a jealous anger. And when that jealous anger of God reaches a boiling point, he says, I've seen enough, I've had enough, he'll pour out his wrath. The 25th fact is the great day of the Lord will feature complete end of everything. That's what he says in verse 18, for he will make a complete end. I mean, nothing will be overlooked. No one will be overlooked in this judgment when it comes to this. Now, we know this has not happened yet because all the things on the list haven't happened yet. The 26th fact is the great day of the Lord will be a terrifying day. That's what he says, indeed, a terrifying one. I don't know if you've ever been terrified, but if you've ever been in a terrified situation, you know there's nothing you can do about it. Several years ago when we were in Grand Rapids, we were going to my parents on Christmas. We were coming out of Grand Rapids, heading to Otsego, and it was a wintry December, and we were going down 131. We were southbound on 131. We hit a patch of ice, and that car with all of us in it just started spinning. It was terrifying. You didn't even know where you are going to end up. I didn't know. Mary didn't know. The boys didn't know. We're just spinning. We're at the mercy of wherever that car ends up. Well, that is terrifying to go through that. That is exactly what is described here. God says, when I pour out my anger, it's going to terrify you. You'll be at my mercy. There'll be nothing. You'll just be spinning around from one judgment area to another. And finally, the great day of the Lord will impact all the inhabitants of the earth. He says in verse 18, of all the inhabitants of the earth, no one, no one is going to get away unscathed. Now, Zephaniah proclaimed that message during the days of Josiah, and he proclaimed it to the people of Israel. You know what most people said? Yeah, we don't believe that. Yeah, we don't need to take that seriously. He's just a prophet talking, talking about stuff way out there in the future. And it wasn't long until everything, for the most part, on the list, with the exception of the totality of the world, came true for them because their world came crashing down. A passage like this is designed to have us ask ourselves the same question. Do we believe this? If you really believe it's possible for you to provoke the Lord to anger, if you really believe it's possible to provoke the Lord to jealousy, if you really believe that what Zephaniah is saying here is true, then you're going to want to make sure you're right with the Lord. You won't be fooling around with sin just saying, oh, that's just mean, I got all kinds of time. You won't want to be doing that. What you'll want to be doing is saying, I need to get that out. I need to deal with that now. I need to get my 
life on a course that gets away from this anger of God. The problem in Zephaniah's day is the same problem in our day. Most people think, oh, we got plenty of time. You don't know how much time you have, nor do I. I can tell you this, if you will turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will commit yourself to understanding the word of God, then this truly will be the best day of your life. Let's pray. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I'd do that here. Right now, I'd invite Jesus Christ to come in and take over your life because without him, he's the only one who pays the redemption price that God will accept. You won't make a deal with God. He did it. Invite him to be your Savior. Father, this is a sober passage of Scripture. We need it. We need to crawl through these passages. We need to see you for who you reveal yourself to be. We are thankful that you do have a grace side and a patience side and a mercy side, a love side. We wouldn't even be existing here if that weren't true. But we would pray that we would be real serious about what we're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.